This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today I've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Adam Comer. He is a pastor and also the CEO of S2L Recovery. So S2L Recovery is a Christian-based, not faith-based. We will get in that into the show. It is a Christian-based, Christ-centered addiction recovery residential care facility for men age 18 to 65. It's out there in Tennessee. And as I mentioned, he's the CEO of S2L Recovery. But he actually used to be a participant in the program because Adam himself used to be completely addicted to opioids. So tell me the number of guys you know that used to be an addict that now run the program that helps addicts, okay? So he's also featured in the documentary, The Forgotten Pandemic. But here's the thing, guys. I've wanted to talk to somebody that knows a lot about this area for a while now. So I'm really, really glad that Adam and I got connected because here in the United States, we consume 80% of the world's opioids, but we only make up 5% of the world's population. And in this era of COVID, we're all focused on this, you know, this disease, this virus that is affecting people in a serious way at a very minor level. We've talked about that on this show for years and years at this point. You're a bad person. If you talk about, you don't care about grandma, you don't care about death, blah, blah, blah. But then we're completely ignoring overdoses. We're completely ignoring real addictions to these supplements right? Or to these, to these medications, right? We're, we, we have a sprained ankle and someone gives us a bottle of opioids and then we get addicted. And then people are going to the streets. I already talked about on the show that in the age 18 to 49 bracket, the number one cause of death is fentanyl overdose, not overdose to anything. It's fentanyl overdose. Why is that? It's because people are addicted to these opioids. They're going uh, they're they're going back to their doctors. Their doctors aren't prescribing them anymore. Now they're going to hit the street to try to get them. They're going to get one that's been laced with fentanyl and then they die. And I feel like no one's really talking about the true overdose issue that we're having in America. Of all the prominent people in in news, conservative or otherwise, I feel like Tucker Carlson is the only one that really, really talks about this on a regular basis. It's really falling on deaf ears. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the show, so excited about this interview, is because you guys need to understand what's really going on out there. But also, you need to understand why people are going to these secular 12-step programs and not receiving actual help. They're relapsing over and over and over. And yet, we never question the validity of the 12-step program, the typical secular 12-step program. And there's a lot of issues with that. So guys, if you've already gotten a little bit offended, it's only going to get worse. But I promise you, there's a lot of great nuggets in here. I'm so glad you're here for it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Adam Comer, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me and that great intro that I wrote for you and made you say about me. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, the the intro is one of those things that I get to lovingly slobber all over my guests without them actually having to hear it beforehand. But the thing about this podcast, and as you know, since you've kind of done a little bit of research on us as well, we like to get right into it from the beginning. We don't really like to start simple. Um, Heavy subject matter for today, but it's it'll be good. And I was telling you this off air. This is something that I've wanted to talk about for a really, really long time because it is ignored by churches. It's ignored by parachurch ministries and everything like that. But part of the reason why we're talking today is because you're the CEO of a Christian-based recovery residential care facility for men called S2L Recovery. And we'll get way more into the Christian-based side of that here in just a bit. But you guys help walk men out of a life of addiction. Like you don't just tell them what to do or here's your here's your 12 steps or here's your booklet. It's like you're actually holding their hands and walking them out of addiction. 
But the most interesting part of that is that you yourself used to actually be a part of that program. Oh, yeah. Because you yourself were, I, I, if I got it correctly, you were addicted to opioids. And so from, from death to life in Christ for yourself, but also from addict to CEO of the program to save addicts. Yeah. I mean, the, the program that actually saved you. I mean, as broad of a starting point as that is, <laughs> give us some info around that because that is a very unique story, one that I'm not really familiar with any, hearing anywhere else. Oh yeah. And I mean, it, it was, it was, so not only, I mean, from addict, but to saint, right. And I yeah. think that's the big difference and <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was, I could go down my testimony and kind of start from the beginning, or I can just kind of tell you why it's different. And, and you tell me where you want me to go with that, but it's an open book today. And, and man, it's by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, we overcome. So I'm not ashamed. Um, but yeah, really bad off. I grew up, I had, um, I would say I had, I grew up with the American dream, uh, mm. and the aspect of no trauma or drama in my life, which, which is important to mention because a lot of the men I serve, um, that's the case. We serve a lot of people who have had bad family life. We have a lot of veterans that come in a lot of, uh, our COO is a combat veteran. We have three or four other veterans on staff and it's very important that we talk about that later. Cause we're actually doing a cool program, um, just for combat veterans is our plan. I think next year. Uh, led by combat veterans, only treating combat veterans for this. But it's important that my story, that's just not my case. I didn't have that. I had uh, still have two great parents. I was popular in school, played sports. Um, I, I was I was led into addiction with a back injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved down to, to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, hurt my back. And, you know, I could go deep into a lot of the things I was doing in high school. But when I tasted that first um, powerful prescription drug, pain, pain, uh, pill, man, in my mind, it was like, Hey, that's what you've been missing. Mm. Didn't know I was missing something, but immediately I I did. And and so it just became these chase and chase and life spiraled out of control. I I mean, I lost everything, including my, the only woman I ever loved. She left me, went to all the secular rehabs, the 12 steps, the NAs, the AA meetings. I was, I mean, you, you name it, whatever the, they prescribe. And by they, I mean the world and the brilliant people in the secular, um, addiction, I guess, space. I did everything they said and it was just hopeless. Uh, I was always going to be an addict. Uh, I had to identify as one when I spoke at a meeting, Hey, my name's Adam and I'm an addict and it was just hopeless. And so, I mean, it was just constant relapse, constant relapse. And eventually, like I said, I was just losing everything, everything. Um, my wife left me. I couldn't, I couldn't even sleep. Like I had nowhere to lay my head because I would steal from people and I began doing things. I just was doing things I never thought I would for something that big. And so finally I Googled, is there such thing as Christian recovery? Because mm-hmm. I've tried it this way. And, you know, like I said, I grew up with great parents. I grew up in church. And yeah, that's when S2L popped up. And I went there and immediately there was hope because here's what I heard. Don't, don't say that about yourself. If you're a believer, the Bible says you're a saint. Who are you to say anything different? The Bible says that there's freedom who the sun sets free, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old's gone. You've been crucified. with All of this trying to talk about our identity and who he is. And it was contrary to what I was taught all in my recovery time of what the world said. In fact, everything that, not everything, a lot of things that the world was telling us on how to recover was antithetical to what God's word said. And so immediately there was hope. And I like, I wanted to hear more about who God is and more about who God says I am. And I just dove into consumed his word and, and, and man, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Although 
the best words I could use is like almost like my DNA shifted. Like mm-hmm. I no longer, I, I was a new, I was a new creation. Right. Yeah. Um, and so God began to restore my marriage. Um, although, uh, where I was from is East Tennessee and where the program is, is in middle Tennessee. It's about three hours away. And, you know, eventually God restored the marriage. Things started to happen and they asked me to intern and I knew I'd, I felt called to, to help, but, also knew that everything I had was in East Tennessee, along with my family, my wife's family, my wife, any career. And so I was like, yeah, I'll intern. But I don't, after that, that's all we can do. And so they offered me a job at the end of the internship. And I was like, hey, let's pray about it. You know, I gave them the church answer. <laughs> and so right. I, I went with, to my wife. I said, hey, guys, give us three days. We're going to pray about it. And I just told my wife, her name's Katie. I said, Katie, I mean, I know the answer to this. And I know you know the answer to this. But I committed that we'd pray about it for three days. And so on the second day of praying, my wife's boss came to her and said, Hey, Katie, we have an opportunity for you to have a promotion, but you'd have to be willing to move to middle Tennessee to take it. And we were just like, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. There you go. Okay, God. All right. And so that, that was 10 years ago. And that began a journey of just my yes was on the table uh, of obedience to the Lord. And he began to open doors and open doors until, like you said, uh, in the intro, it was, um, yeah, I'm now I'm now the chief executive officer of the very program God called me to to heal in. So it's it's been a wild ride. Well, we're going to get into a lot of that information, but I do just got to say I still think it's funny that we have a state in America that is so long east to west. People <laughs> refer to the middle of the state as Middle Tennessee because I'm in the middle of Oklahoma, but I'm never like, yeah, I live in Middle Oklahoma. So that's just a little yeah. sidebar, <laughs> guys. I'm a weirdo. It's it's just kind of how it goes. But I do want to go back to no, something from the very beginning because yeah, I do jujitsu. So basically, I'm going to have surgery every year or two. That's just kind of the way of it. But I remember whenever I blew, you know, every tendon in this thumb. And I get a call from a guy. Mm. So uh, shout out to my buddy Spike in Lawton, Oklahoma. Yes, I have a buddy named Spike. Again, I'm a weirdo. But he he called me out of the blue. And this is a guy, you know, we, we trade texts about sports and, you know, funny videos and stuff like that. And he knew I had just had surgery. And he was very serious. He's like, Kyle, you need you need to be very, very careful with, yeah. with the opioids that they sent you. And he's like, I know you're a very disciplined guy. I know you're a faithful guy, all those things, but you got to be careful. And I kind of text him back. I'm like, thanks. You know, I'm, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to get the, get off these as quickly as possible. But I'm just curious why you would say that. And he's like, buddy, I've, I've lost two. I think he said, I lost two friends in the last year. Mm. Uh, and these guys were, were athletes and they were this and that. So give me a little bit more there because yeah. There's plenty of people that are disciplined like I am. There's plenty of people that have a support system of family around them to be like, wait, did you take another, did you take another pill today? Like, but I was so excited to get off of them. Like whenever I felt like I could really fall asleep without, without taking one, I put them in the the cabinet and I never even thought about them, about them again. But what is it about those things aside from the fact that it's synthetic heroin that, that really gets it grips and it gets its grip into people? Yeah. I, I, I guess that's it. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I, I don't know how much trouble we want to get in on this, how much, how much trouble we want to get into in all the trouble, all the trouble, bring all the smoke. Let's go. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, and this is not, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, uh, uh, but I mean, it, it, it almost seems as though, well, I could tell you stats. How about that? Uh, I could tell you in May of 20, 2000 to May of 2021, 100,000 people died of drug overdose. Uh, that's astronomical. That's, that's uh, more casualties than the entire Vietnam War era. That's 17 years, I believe. Um, I could tell you that um, 
it's it's like it's a molecule away from synthetic heroin. I could tell you that the United States consumes, I want to say, eighty five percent of the world, the global opioids, and we're only five percent of the global population. I don't know why. I mean, the chemistry of the brain. I mean, we could talk about how why people are addicted, but it almost seems. Man, big pharma and insurance companies, it's just, it doesn't seem like it's what's best for humans, right? It does it numb the pain. Yeah. But it's the kind of pain if you're going into surgery or if you're going into mm -hmm. some kind of like major pain, but they're, they're handed out for like sprained knees and pulled muscles in your back. <clears throat> and it's like, why are we doing this? This right. is like a horse tranquilizer. Why are we doing this? Well, I feel like it may even be, and I'm going to be jumping all over the place, but I feel like it may even be. So look with COVID and we'll, we'll talk more about COVID here in just a second. So nothing, nobody's talking about, Hey, you need to be in better shape. Hey, you need to uh, focus on your health. Hey, you need to eat better. Hey, you need to get some sleep. Hey, take some vitamin D and some vitamin C and some zinc and, you know, just try to take care of yourself. You know, no one was talking about that. It was just hold your breath until the vaccine's available yeah. and then get the vaccine and then get it again and then get the booster and then get the second booster. And then we might need to do a third, fourth, fifth and add an item until forever. And so whenever someone has an issue that, maybe a small lifestyle change or some stretching programs or a little bit of PT. It's like, yeah, we know you're not going to do that. Here's a little orange bottle with a white cap. Just take these and you'll be fine. But in general, I, Adam, I follow the wisdom that you shouldn't attribute to evil what can be attributed to ignorance or incompetence. So I try not to just blame the evil pharmaceutical drug companies. Right. But if I'm being honest, it seems like a perfect storm for them. Yeah. Incentivize doctors to prescribe opioids, get people addicted, rinse, repeat. Like, I, I, again, I don't want to think of these doctors as evil. I don't necessarily want to think of these companies as evil because I think the modern market system, free market system has got us to where we are today, has lifted, you know, untold billions of people out of poverty worldwide. Like, I get that. I'm okay with, you know, profit, you know, seeking and those types of things. But with, with the issues we're seeing, like, why isn't there more of a, a groundswell of even doctors saying, yeah, yeah, you don't need these pills, baby. Like, hey, let, let me, let me get you to someone who can give you a little bit more of a holistic approach to what you're doing. You know, Hey, I need to see you three more times before I would ever prescribe you something. Why don't, why don't we see that like at, at a mass level? Well, I mean, <laughs> again, there's also something now that's called MAT, medically assisted treatment. It's the next, it, I mean, me even talking negatively about this to you right now, I am ignorant. I'm a bigot. Oh, you just, you're not following the science, but it's basically uh, maintenance medication, long-term maintenance medication that's keeping people, it's an opioid blocker, but in and of itself, it's a narcotic and people are getting high and extremely addicted to this drug. Um, I'm seeing guys come to our program more and more and more and more every year just to get off the drug that they were given to get off of drugs. And so it's, it's insanity. But guess what? How brain broke is it to imagine that, hey, let's trust the same, like the big, uh, we call it the forgotten pandemic of, of, with addiction, but that big spur, and I think I said it in the documentary, there's a big spike in like addictions and a wave of overdoses when opioids really were pushed onto the market and they're made by pharmaceutical companies. Why in the world would we think that the answer out of that is just more drugs made by the same pharmaceutical companies? So, I mean, in theory, if, if I can keep you sick, I can keep getting paid. If I can keep you taking my medication, then my bottom, I mean, I'm, I, you're asking that and that would be an obvious answer to me, but with that and, and, and like inserted into it with the people that I'm seeing with, I've taken the, the drugs. I don't, I'm not against medication. 
I think that same drug that I'm talking for is amazing, very short term, like sure. it, it, to kick, to kick the withdrawals to, to for seven to 10 days, something like that. Absolutely. Why not use that? But to have someone on that drug long term to me seems, oh man, very dangerous, very dangerous because I've taken it. I know what it can. I know that it's addicting. I know the kind of feeling that you can get from it. Well, Adam, everything in society that was meant to be short term gets elongated. As you were talking, mm. uh, you know, I thought about welfare. Like welfare back in the day was I literally don't have the means to make ends meet. I, I don't have the ability to get on my feet right now. Let me allow for some government uh, assistance right now to get me on my feet and I'll get on my feet as soon as possible. And you even had people go back and, and pay back what they borrowed from the government. They looked at it as if they were borrowing something like it was a loan. But now we have people that are on government assistance for years and years and years. And there's no intent to get off. And something I wrote down as you were talking is that we don't have a healthcare system as much as we have a sick care system, right? So no one's trying mm -hmm. to, to get, to make you a healthy person. It's like you go to the doctor when you're sick. You don't go to the doctor when you're healthy saying, Hey, I'd love to stay healthy. What are some things that I should be doing? Are there some vitamins yeah. that I should be taking? Is there a new workout regimen that I should be doing? I haven't been getting a lot of sleep. Do you have any natural remedies or something that can help me get some better sleep in that area? And the only way to keep a sick care system going is to keep people sick. And so this, this revolving door that we see, like, Doctors don't seem to be terribly concerned. And I, I get so overwhelmed when I hear people that are like, well, I had a blood pressure problem. So they put me on this medication, but then that caused me to have gout. And then I had to be on this med medication then I had to be on this. And then it's like, nobody can un, you know, untangle this web that we've gotten into. Um, <clears throat> again, well, I mean, I, and it's not like uh, the, uh, again, what we're not, so obviously I, I can't speak for you, but I would imagine that you believe medication is a common grace and gift of God. Absolutely. But it, there is an issue to say. So, I mean, so many people, like if we'll make a post about some of the things that we're saying, you know, with opiates and, and I mean, there's, there's the out, I don't even know if they're outliers, but we'll get comments. We'll get emails that just like, it's, you these drug addicts are making it so hard for people with legitimate pain to take, you know, get their pain medication. It's like, man, listen to the stat that I already mentioned. 85% of global opioids are taken in this country. Are we in a lot more pain than Europe? Are we in a lot more pain than these other? It's not like Europe's poor and can't afford the Medicaid. I mean, it's not, I'm not talking third world countries here, but we're taking 85% and we're only 5% of the world's population. There's an issue there. So don't talk to me about how it's hard. Why, why are you taking a synthetic heroin when an Advil will do? Right. Or, you know, or, or something else could do or stretching and, and man, it's a problem. It's a problem. I think the the bigger problem, because obviously this is a massive problem, the, everything that we're describing, but in the era of COVID, right, we're going into our, our third year of this, COVID has dominated the news cycle, and it has kept the general public from even knowing about the crisis that is drug overdoses, especially from fentanyl. I, I know that even just a couple of months ago, uh, it was announced that the number one leading cause of death for adults age 18 to 49 was fentanyl overdose. Okay, yeah. now- now, I think that that's something gets lost in the translation there. People just hear overdose and they yeah. forget fentanyl. I was like, they're not saying overdose from anything. They're saying overdose from a very specific thing. Fentanyl is the number one cause of death, more than COVID, more than cancer, more than, you know, wild dog attacks. Anything is fentanyl. Yeah. And part of the issue is because people are getting hooked on opioids. Their doctors stop prescribing them to them. They go to the street to get these opioids now. They've been laced with fentanyl and then they overdose almost immediately. You know, we, part of the issue that we see at the Southern border 
is the amount of fentanyl that is being brought into the United States is enough to kill every single person in the United States. And, and oh, these yeah. are things like the, the spigot's not going to turn off. So give us some perspective because again, you're talking to an audience that is, is kind of like me that they're, they're just shocked at these numbers when they see the headlines, but give us a little bit more of a perspective around the real issue with overdose in America right now and just yeah. abuse in general. Yeah. And I mean, even to not, I don't want to scare people into not taking drugs. I hope, hopefully, and I mean, we, we discussed a, a mutual uh, person earlier, but hopefully who speaks on this a lot, but hopefully the heart changes and we're not chasing idols to, to fill a place in our heart. Like that said in my testimony, there was a hole that I was like, Oh, this is what I've been missing. Hopefully we're not chasing idols for that. And, and that's what this drug is. But when it comes to fentanyl, I mean, and again, not to scare, but I, I read a story the other day that there was, a I don't know, a teenager, man, uh, went with some friends and there was a pill, a prescription pill, uh, that was brought out and he took it first time he's ever done it. And he died because it was a fake pill. It was fentanyl or it was laced with fentanyl and it looked just like a pharmaceutical pill. And so just a warning to those uh, that could be listening or, or please talk with your children, your friends, your son or your brothers, your sisters uh, that you think might be doing it. I mean, even if you think it's a, pres a prescription pill, they're so good now and they're laced and it's like, goodness, like I said earlier, a hundred thousand deaths. That's just drug over. If we're talking about just opiates and just fentanyl, that's fine. But that hundred thousand deaths a year, not even including the, the, you know, devastation that comes from alcohol. And, and I don't right. believe alcohol is sinful. I don't believe any of that, but, uh, you know, being drunk and abusing alcohol is absolutely sinful. And it's disease that's coming from that liver disease, car accidents. When you add all of this up, why is all we're hearing about in the news COVID? right? For three years, like you said, why are we not addressing this? And here's what I'll say. The church with a capital C has always been the one that marched into the storm in church history. We've always been the one to address these issues, but yet with this one is almost a fear. There's almost a, and, and I want to be gracious here because like you said, I want to have, I, I can't remember how you said it, but it was ignorance or, you know, evil. And I want I don't want to believe it's evil. Mm -hmm. So I want to be gracious, but we feel like, uh, and I've been on this, a part of making the documentary that I'm sure we're going to talk about was to, Hey, reach out to the church. And we've had an awesome response to that. But I think there's a fear because people could die if I say the wrong thing. Um, I think there's a, there's, you know, there is also a stigma attached to it because back in the day it was almost like, Hey, there's only a certain type of people that are, that are getting high and doing that, 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 if you're still in that mindset or if you're yeah. still thinking that you're just blind or you're living under a rock, uh, especially, I mean, we've had judges, professional athletes, doctors, lawyers, homeless people, everyone's come into our program with, with, with the need for healing and, and from addiction. And so, gosh, it, it, it's like the church is time for to wake up and, and, it, and we're afraid because if we say, I, I'm assuming, and I've talked with people to back this up, but I, if I say the wrong thing or if I'm discipling this guy and I've never dealt with an addiction, if I say the wrong thing, he could die. And I mean, rewind this podcast and know they are dying, right? Mm -hmm. Not saying anything is way more deadly than discipling someone. So I want to talk a little bit more about the capital C church yes. because, uh, and we spoke about this off air. A lot of the things that we cover on Undaunted Life of Man's podcast are subjects that are seemingly too hot for the church because they don't talk about them, especially in this modern era of, you know, people like to say mega churches, but I'm okay with churches having a mega impact. It's the fact that they're set up like companies where the lead pastor is a CEO and not a lead pastor, right? You know, you have these 
pastors of these mega churches, they couldn't name a hundred members, right? And yet they're leading the flock. It's just kind of like, eh, yeah, I don't know if I really buy that. But the thing about it is, is so many churches are unwilling to get their hands dirty and get their feet dirty in areas that seem scary. One of those areas is abortion. They, you know, that seems scary. That seems real judgmental. And I don't want, you know, women that have had abortion to stop coming to our church and that kind of a thing, which I understand the sentiment at least. Then you have, you know, other things like, you know, they don't want to get into the race issue because they look at their, you know, their, their congregation. It's mainly white and they don't want to ostracize, you know, the, the, the people of color that are in the room or whatever. But with this thing as well, with drug abuse, especially since it's not just a, you know, downtrodden human being, a homeless problem or a, you know, just a bad person problem. It's doctors, it's stay-at-home moms, it's children, all these different things. Why do you think the capital C church is staying away from these things? Because we, you know, we're called as a body to to push back darkness, to 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 bring the light of Christ into these dark areas. Why are we not touching it? Yeah. And, and that's a really good question. And I, and I think for you, uh, if someone was really listening to us and wanted to press us, I think both of us would say, when we say capital C church, uh, we mean the global church, but that does, I know personally, and I know that, you know, especially, I mean, even my own church, I'm not trying to, you know, feel good, but, but there are some that are like of really pressing of into all of these issues, biblically, uh, standing firm on stage. And so we're not saying when we say capital C church, we don't mean just a church. No, I think both Kyle and I love the church. I know I love the church and, I, and it sounds as though he loves the church too, the body of Christ. But the reason I think there are some, and maybe, maybe majority. I don't know. There are some churches, possibly the majority that don't go after these issues. And I don't know. I mean, if we want to go in kind of the most like recent church history and talk about growth and talk about that model and things like that. But I mean, it's just hard. If we want to talk about human nature, it's hard to talk about issues that are going to hurt people's feelings. Um, I think especially men that are watching this, uh, passivities killed Christian men, kill, killed uh, being passive and not being able to have a conversation that might hurt someone's feelings, but is what you're called to do and, and call someone to the carpet. That's what, that's actually loving them the best. And I think passivity is killing uh, a lot of things and that, that rolls into the pulpit. And so if there's an issue that I'm talking about uh, and there's, there's way more than even just you said that are socially kind of off limits. And so I, I don't know. I, I don't want to condemn them. Um, I know there's a, a lot of churches that are that are speaking to these things. I know uh, multiple of them. We partner with them. Our ministry does. Um, but for the most part, it does seem like, hey, when and if we do talk about them, we don't really dive into them. We just kind of hit some talking points of them. Right. So, man, I don't know. I, if you had to press me on that, I would answer just maybe passivity, maybe um, wanting the world to love you. I, I don't know, man. I think you're, I think you're onto some things there, but also the thing that I would say is <clears throat> if you're the lead pastor and you look out at the men in your church and you don't think that they have your back, you're not going to take very many risks. And so part of the thing that I like to do is whenever I talk to guys and whenever I say things on this podcast and I'm like, if you want to see change in your church, and if you want to see your pastor talk about abortion and not just mention it for a minute or two in a sermon, but to do an entire series on it, to do something like for the entire church, go to your pastor and say, Hey, if you talk about this subject matter, I've got your back. Some of those slings and That's arrows good. that are going to come your way, I'll take some of those. And then have your buddy 
go and have a conversation with the pastor and say the same thing and another and another and another. So the pastor understands that if I go a little bit outside my comfort zone, right? If I, if I, you know, unbutton my sweater vest just a little bit further or something like that, or the sweater vest don't have buttons, don't worry about it. But like, if I'm going to have to like, (laughs) you know, to really take care of things, I've got people that have my back. And that's part of the thing is you have so many passive men in the church. They're passive to the point of not showing up or they're passive to the point of showing up, but being brain dead, or they're just passive because they just really don't give a crap. They're there because they're supposed to be, because it's a cultural thing. I'm supposed to go to church. Like that's what I really feel like it gets down to. Kyle, that man, that is, that's really good. And and the aspect it's easy for us. I I mean, I'm a pastor as well, not not of a church, but in the ministry, I think it's easy for us. Like, like I just did uh, to kind of pile on the pastor. But what you just did was, Hey, church goer, uh, yeah. church member, what are you doing? You you just gave some practical things, man. And I haven't really heard anyone talking about that, but that's a brilliant idea. If I, if someone came to me in my, in our ministry and said, Hey, I know whatever, but I got your back. Okay. Yeah. A little more confident to, exactly. okay. oh, and then this guy, yeah. what a, what a, what a great thing for you to bring up, man. And I think we challenge you men that are listening to this, go do that. But even if your pastor is covering these things, let him know that you got his back. Exactly. So I would some stupid bumper sticker thing, be the change you want to see in the world. That's kind of it though. It's just like, Hey man, I'm so tired of these effeminate songs being sung at church and all that. And where's the, where's the Psalms and where's the stuff that get the guys riled up. Have you ever spoken to the person that leads worship at your church? Because we did an episode where we talked about, you know, the the problem with modern contemporary worship music. Mm. And I had music ministers reaching out to me saying, I've never thought that people in the crowd thought these things. I had never considered the men in the crowd when I was picking out the songs. I never thought that these lyrics were homoerotic, that these men, the reason why they weren't singing them is because they felt like they were singing to a, you know, a guy that was their boyfriend and not the, you know, the the Mm. Lion of Judah. And so it's like, that that's a you thing, right? Like yeah. he, he can't, you know, see the problem with what he's doing unless you go and, and actually talk to him. But I'm kind of getting a little off subject here. I want to kind of bring it back to the overall issue with drugs. Cause one thing that I see a lot, especially in the era where one of the most proud and loud voices on every subject is Joe Rogan. Right. And I, and I yeah. listen to the Joe Rogan experience and I appreciate that guy. You know, I kind of tune him out on some of the things that he's ignorant on. Sure. But there's this entire camp of people that's the legalize all drugs people. It's like, well, they legalize all drugs in, you know, this random European city or country. And look how great things are going, pretending as if those cities or countries are anything like the United States of America. But these people think that if you just legalize all drugs, that it won't have any significant negative downstream consequences. It will somehow eradicate the black market and not lead to additional users. Uh, Even here in the state of Oklahoma, when there was a debate uh, around um, legalizing medical marijuana, I said, guys, they never stop at medical. So that's the first thing. Like you're like, well, I'm for medical marijuana use, but I'm not for, you know, uh, you know, just recreational use. I was like, well, it never stops there one. And it's like, do you really think these nefarious criminal actors that run the black market are going to be like, Oh, well, they've legalized it, so I guess we're not going to sell any more weed in the state of Oklahoma. No, they're going to get creative and they're going to undercut the state prices because they don't have to charge tax or pay tax or any of those types of things. So for you, working in the world that you're in, being around the people that you're around, the legalize all drugs camp, that thought process, what do you think about it? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I, I mean, I have, I think it would be, my my instinct is wanting to go and pull up a lot of the data from the states that have made like like Colorado and all of this stuff and be like, hey, 
your thoughts on this, doing this were just off. Look at these negative. That's kind of where my instinct wants to go. But I think if, if Christian men are listening to this and they're asked about it, I, th- I don't know that I need to move away from the word of God as much. And so what the word of God says is be alert, be sober minded. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion waiting, looking for someone to devour. And so any talks of legalizing just all of these drugs and making all these things legal and all of these drugs are mind altering. Right. And, and right. no longer alert. So, I mean, have your pushback, have your base pushback there. But if we're entering into the political, it's just, I mean, it's more insanity, man. I mean, the, the things that are coming out, the, it, it's disheartening to see the world, the culture, and the insanity of, of decisions being made and the just absurdness of the decisions being made. How is this possible? Hey, making these drugs legal is going to be your ticket of what? Emptying out the prisons? Um, yeah, sure. Doing away with the cartel, the black market? No, yeah, what's like the best it. case scenario of doing this? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. More deaths. You're, so your morgues and your cemeteries are a lot more full than your jails. Um, and I mean, just the decay of culture, man. Decay, the more decay, the more, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, again, <laughs> we could take this. We could take this a few ways, but I mean, I, and I've had. I've actually. I've been. In, I've been at Europe. I've been in Europe um, with my church. So we have a, a church in Europe, and there was some talks of being a pastor out there um, a few years ago. And I was sitting there talking with someone in Brussels um, at a cool little table, mm. and, and I mean, it was almost like his. They're the brain. The way that they think of it, it was so contrary they're talking about yeah we need to give out needles we need to have these safe places we need to do this and i was just like what like that that's your answer to this and it was almost it just seemed like i said before brain broke that you think providing safe and clean things is going to be a a just a, a justice for the society no i mean why don't you provide treatment why don't you provide um, I mean, just secular talk. Why don't you provide ways out of it, not enabling more ways into it? Right. Their life is only, there's only evidence of their life spiraling out of control d- and dragging a whole bunch of chaos and devastation and destruction with it. Why are we just, pro- here's a clean needle. Cause I don't want you to get AIDS on your way down. Well, it's, it's kind of like giving someone with cancer band-aids. It's just kind of like, uh, what, what, it, yeah, they might brush up against something and, and scratch themselves, but are you really treating the disease? And I, again, I think it's when you have a secular approach to things, this is one of the downstream consequences that, that you have. And I think this is a good time now to really get into what you all do with S2L recovery yeah. because your addiction treatment and recovery philosophy is not so subtly anti the typical 12 steps program. And, uh, most of us are at least, uh, you know, most of us are at least tangentially aware of the 12 steps program. Yeah. If we've never been a part of them as well. I remember way, way, way back in the day I was trying to, you know, stop, you know, watching porn and masturbating. Right. And so like, I tried to, you know, anesthetize it and try to make it like this medical thing as opposed to be like, well, if I want to stop looking at porn, I should probably stop jerking off. Like, boom, there fixed it. And the reason and, that you were investigated or turned to the 12 steps or the reason that anyone does with any kind of addiction issue is because that's all that people know exist. That's right. all that there has been. That's what everyone, that's what everyone says you have to do. That's what, um, the professionals uh, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, you're, you're exactly right. It's the name brand. Like you don't buy gelatin, you buy jello. Like you don't, don't, you don't buy, you know, bandages, you buy band-aids, right? Like it's, it's the name brand thing. The 12 steps program. I've got sex addiction or I've got pornography addiction or I've got this addiction or that addiction. You go to the 12 steps. So for you all at S2L recovery, why do you not lean on the 12 steps model? 
Uh, I think I think that's a, that's a great question, and that's that's probably if just someone who's been through addiction or kind of in the recovery world, that's what they're going to notice first about us and why we're so drastically different. Because we don't, we 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 don't, and here's why. I and to be fair, I think a lot of people can um, can go through, and I think Jeff Durbin says this: God can. Um, strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. And so, so 12 steps has been used and and people do find, uh, God finds them there and and whatever. And I think in its originality, even in its originality, there was some theological issues, but I think they had pure hearts and they were turning people to the God, to God, the God of the universe. But where it is today and the reason that we don't use it is because if you tell me, hey, there's really good 12-step meetings and really good, you know, the, we're talking about God here in these 12-step meetings. And I'm just like, well, tell me where those are. Because I'm sending guys back to Oklahoma. I'm sending guys back to Indiana. I'm sending guys to Kentucky and here in East Tennessee, West Tennessee, Florida. Tell me where those meetings are, and I might have them go there. But I don't know where those really Christian ones are. And if you look, if you pull the 12-steps up right now, it should make you cringe if you're a believer. Because it's not... It's not what it was. In fact, it says um, a God of your own understanding. It's like, what? That's what led me to addiction in the first place was trusting a God and seeking a God of my understanding. The Bible says lean not on your own understanding and he will make straight your path. And so it's, and they promote, like I said, the, hey, I'm, I'm Johnny, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, I'm Peter, I'm an addict. And it's like, man, identity is such an important piece. Um, your identity in Christ and your, whatever you're placing your identity in is so important. And that's, that's even moving away from faith. That's, that's psychology 101. You call a little girl ugly her whole life growing up, she's going to grow up and think what? That she's ugly. Yeah. You identify with sin. You identify with your past and just the devastation and the chaos and the decay of your past. That's what you're identifying with every time you introduce yourself. Man, that, again absurd thinking just like hey let's make everything legal just like all the other things we could bring up about what the world thinks is right now it's just absurdity that i'm going to identify with this and here's what they would say and i've been i've been on this mission man for a while i went yeah. to i went with the state that the state has a faith-based um tennessee and it's actually pretty cool um but i mean i'm going to call it what it is i mean faith-based i do like this is because they have to include all faiths right but anyways i went on kind of this tour to every county in the state or a bunch of counties and I remember saying the things I'm saying now and afterwards is kind of old timers, what they call them, uh, who'd been in AA and recovery for 30 years, 40 years and kind of came up after I got off stage and he pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, I'm an elder in my church and you wanted me to know that. And he said, you know, I've been in AA for 30 years. And, and the reason that I say I, I'm an alcoholic is kind of like saying I'm a sinner saved by grace. You know, I just don't want to forget. And I don't, I don't know. I just said to him in this, in that moment, I said, the Bible doesn't say that you're a sinner. It says you're a saint if you're in Christ. That's your identity. It, it's you're definitely you, you sin, but when when you've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer you who live. You're you're identified. You're seen as perfect, spotless, and blameless. You're a saint. And I could just see him. His wheels were turning in his head, and he's like. Oh, yeah. No, okay. And he kind of walked away. He didn't have anything to say. And so if the mindset is, hey, we identify that way because I don't want to ever forget. Are you joking me? Like, if if you're going to forget the chaos that's in your in that was brought on in your world, uh, then you probably didn't have much of an addiction. And I'm not trying to like compare war stories, but the pain that I caused my wife, 
the emptying of my bank account and everything I ever owned, the looking at my parents and the have that, just the, all of that. If I, I can never forget that, but that doesn't define me. I mean, that I did that, and I have to sometimes still suffer the consequences of that from a decade ago. But I'm not that. I'm in Christ. I'm I'm a bloodstained child of the kingdom, and that's who God says I am. Why would I identify with that? And so, I mean, all of that, I don't know. I probably asked a short question. I just went down a rabbit trail. But, I mean, that's why we don't teach that, push that, um, encourage that. Well, I will say this as well, like just here recently, you know, it's kind of like this is all providentially coming at the same time. I watched a documentary, which we'll get into here in just a second, but I also heard Jeff Durbin talk on his podcast about the, his issues with the 12-step program. And I'd never heard someone be critical of the 12-step program from that basis. And they basically said, yeah, it's like, hi, I'm Kyle. I'm an alcoholic or hi, I'm Tim. I'm addicted to opioids or something like that. And if they're in the program for 30 years, like the guy you just mentioned, they're constantly saying that and they're almost drilling a home in their head, not just reminding themselves of what they're reminding themselves of what they used to be. And if they are a new creation, then they're not that anymore. Right? Like that's who I was. It's not who I am. But so they're, they're encouraging people to go to these programs and stand up and say, hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm saved by the blood of the lamb mm-hmm. or hi, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm John and I, I'm a new creation in Christ and, and like those types of things. And you know, that really gets the hackles up of these 12 step program people. It Cause does. it's like, no, 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 no. Like you've got to say you're this. And, and part of it, I feel like, and you bring this up a little in the documentary. I keep teasing the documentary. Don't worry guys. We'll get there. We're gonna talk about I, it. I, I keep thinking about the disease model. Yeah. So I've heard you talk about, I heard in the documentary, I heard it, you know, with Jeff Durbin and other people, the disease model, everything has to be a disease and why, you know, why approaching a disease as a disease is the only way to address the issue. I think about this as well with, with mental health issues. So there are mental health issues that are caused by an issue with your biology. You were born with, you know, uh, an imbalance in your brain or, or something else that's happened and sure. you need actual treatment for that. If you, if you're paranoid, schizophrenic or something like that, like that, that's something that requires that like real stuff, but your dog died and now you're depressed. And so you need medication for that. No, I'm sorry. That's not clinical depression. You're sad. Some people are melancholy in their personality. Like if you went to the early 1900s, they would have just said, yeah, you're a melancholy person. Edgar Allan Poe probably wasn't the best guy to go to a party with, but he wrote great stuff from, you know, that was an exuding of his melancholy personality. And if he had ever turned to Christ, I'm sure part of his melancholy would have communicated to people in the Christian sphere that were just bubbly and bouncing all over the place. But I think the problem is everything we're basing off the disease model that, oh, you have something that you don't feel is right. You must have a disease. In your opinion, what is wrong with treating addiction as the disease model? (laughs) How much time we have left? We got a lot of time. We got all the time in the world, supposedly. Uh, I mean, I mean, to be fair, I think, I think. It's it's wordplay uh, sometimes. How silly this is! It becomes wordplay because it really depends on how, what what's the definition of a disease. And then if you want to say that and you want to look at the brain, what happens if someone's an addiction? So I mean, e- even if I yield to someone saying, "Yeah, you know what? By definition of this, it could be considered that." I, I'm saying it's curable, but but the but here's the man, and I'm um I did not expect to do this, but just how how hypocritical the system is. And this just happened today to me, Uh, not to me, but to us. The disease model is very beneficial if you're going to treat the disease. Well, how do we treat diseases here in this country? We treat it with medication. Sure. Right. And so 
it's a, it's a disease and we could treat medic and we could treat it with medication. And now this company, but in the same aspect today, I'm told, uh, via email that we have someone who was by an insurance company. They are declined care because they had clean time in the past client. And, and so that we think that they could do it on their own. So it's a disease when we need to feed them medication, but it's not a disease when we want to have them go through treatment and get help for six weeks or eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is. How interesting. And my rationale is, is oh, they've been clean before they could do it again. Oh, really? Case hmm. person that's thousand miles away. You think this person just put their entire life on hold in the darkest seasons of their life and made one of the hardest decisions that you can to leave everything you know to go get help. You think you know better than they do of what they can do, and you've never seen them before in your life, and so you're going to try to dictate their treatment? Wow, how convenient that the disease model is for this but not for this. And so my problem with it is what I think it does, what I think the disease model leads to is long-term medication and long-term maintenance like I was discussing before. And I just think that's dangerous. And I don't think we have enough data um, that shows that's effective, even though they say they do. Well, you're not asking me. And if you if you were, I could tell you how much data I have of guys coming in to get help to get off of those drugs. I doubt you're interviewing them. I think that brings up a lot of things in terms of the, the well, insurance He's going to get me world. in trouble today, Carl. No, Carl's my no, producer no. right here. He's making sure the camera and everything. Carl, goes, here we relax. go, baby. Carl, we're fine here. Um, there's no issues. But the, the, the big deal is, is there well, are a lot of I'm going to get you in trouble, one or the other. Bro, the things I've said on this show, like this is not even going to register. But like the, the funny thing uh, about all this is there are issues. And again, don't contribute to, to evil. What can be contributed to ignorance. Right. But that caseworker, is not making an evil decision. She's She or he is making a decision based on something that they've seen, right? Mm -hmm. So they see the baseball card. They see the back of the baseball card on the person and they try to make a decision. It's a lot different when you watch every single at-bat for the entire season, though. It's a lot different when you see someone that basically melts into a puddle in your arms because they have given every the, the last bit of effort they did just to get to you, to get to S2L recovery. But I brought it up just a second ago. There are people that actually need medical care. They actually oh, yeah. need therapy. They actually need treatment. Uh, they, they're beyond counseling. Uh, per, perhaps at this point, they're beyond some of those things. So for you at S2L Recovery, because I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea about kind of what y'all do in terms yeah. of your program, you don't just sit there and pray with people and smack them over the no. head with the New Testament. I you wish. know, <laughs> you know so, so what do you do with people that have actual medical or, you know, uh, advanced therapy needs? Yeah, and, and I'm kind of the... And I guess I can kind of go into the long version because I think what S2L is doing is somewhat unique in the aspect of not a Christian, not faith-based, but truly what, when we describe our program, we're Christ-centered, like unapologetically. And we're also licensed by the state, and we also have a, a, a national accreditation from the Joint Commission, which is the cream of the crop. I mean, if the best hospital you have in your city, the accreditation that they went for is the Joint Commission. And so we went after those things, and we felt like we were doing that kind of like with the documentary that God was calling us to, to kind of be on the stage. And so we have doctors on our staff, a doctor, a medical director. Uh, we have nurses. We have clinicians, licensed clinicians. And so we, we treat all of these things and we do all these things as Christ centered. And, and the thought was for me, and you know, maybe someone thinking this, maybe someone who's um, over a minister, we're a nonprofit as well. But um, my thought for the longest time was we can never step into this space with insurance, with licensure, with accreditation, because if we did, we couldn't talk about Jesus. Right. 
And I think, I think common that's, that's, oh yeah, that's true. Well, what I found out was that you just have to hire doctors. You have to hire nurses. You have to hire clinicians, one that love Jesus like you do, and also think of addiction the way you do. And then all of a sudden, if, if the state and if all these people try to say, no, you can't do that because we're signing off on it from a doctor, we're treating people with uh, evidence-based, but our curriculum that they go through five days a week is Christ-centered. It's straight from Second Peter, where it talks about you can escape the corruption that's in the world that comes through sinful desires, and that desire is what we teach on. And then it gives seven things of growth and sanctification. I think that that's a good thing to to let people know is because there is this idea with these faith-based programs, and I'm glad you made that delineation earlier. There are faith-based, uh, but you don't want to include all faiths because people think that, you know, faith systems are fundamentally the same and, you know, they're, they're different in very minor ways, but it's the exact opposite, right? You know, even if just looking at Muslim and Christian, they have very, very different views as to the person of Jesus. Yep. But I do want to go ahead and get in now that we're 45 minutes into the podcast. I do want to go ahead and get into the forgotten pandemic. <laughs> Are we really? Feels yeah. Like, so, feels like no time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, we're just flying through at this point, but the forgotten pandemic, that's a documentary that you guys put together that I think summarizes uh, not only what S2L Recovery does, but also summarizes some of the issues that are happening, why it's being ignored. There's a lot of heavy hitters that you brought in there. So give me the backstory. Like how did the forgotten pandemic uh, come about? You know, why did you produce it? What have you kind of seen? What kind of fruits have you seen from that? Go ahead and lay it out for us. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in January of 2020, uh, right before the world changed as we know it, uh, before the the COVID hit, uh, we felt like it was time for us to do a, a new promo video, like a three minute promo video, just because our our the one we have is kind of old. And so we were I reached out to a buddy of mine who's just a phenomenal uh, videographer. Uh, his name's Denver. Uh, he's done really good work for the church I've seen for corporate things. I've just seen. I mean, he's got the eye, and if someone has the it, and you can't really describe the it, but you know they have it. That's what I was looking for. Cause I wanted it to be cool. And so I reached out, I said, yeah, let's get together. And then around that time, maybe a month or so later, it's when, you know, COVID hit and chaos hit. Next thing you know, we're locked down. Next thing you know, um, we, uh, we feel just through prayer and things like that, that the Lord called us, um, and just said, Hey, you know, talking about our promo, you know, Hey, this issue and this approach is bigger than S2L and it's bigger than, than just you guys. Um, and we felt like he was wanting us to to put this message out in a, in a unique way. And if you remember back in that time, there was a lot of documentaries that were popping off with The Last Dance and yep. uh, Social Dilemma and even The Tiger King. It just seemed like America was consuming and still is consuming documentaries. And maybe they were before, but it was I feel like it was heightened then. And so we feel like he was he was saying, hey, th- this is a project that we want you to do. And um, our yes was on the table and uh, no experience ever making a film, no desire to ever make a film. And never, I was kind of played sports, never had an artistic eye. Um, but I approached that Denver and I said, Hey man, um, kind of got a crazy request. What do you think about this? Um, and he's like, you know, I've never done that, but, but I believe in it. Let's do it. And so God just began to open doors. And, uh, as you saw Mark, uh, Mark Hall from casting crowns, um, is interviewed in it and, and believed in it. And then Zach Williams, Um, And then we had some politicians and some pastors and people going through it. So doors just began to open. um, And it was, it was a labor of love. If if I know, if I knew then what I know now about filmmaking, I don't know that my yes would have been on the table as much. I mean, to be honest, I would like to say I'm obedient, but I mean, man, this is, this is, and and we wanted to, I I refused to do it if it was going to be cheesy and and not quality. And I feel like we put out a pretty good um, quality film and, 
but it's meticulous, man. I did not know that a minute of film could take hours to edit. Yep. Uh, I mean, we had over a hundred and something hours of footage and it cut it down to a 40 minute documentary. Like that's like, I didn't know how meticulous it was. I didn't know all of this stuff. And, and, and I mean, but I, I, I'm very thankful the feedback from it, the churches and the, um, just, it, it's almost, it almost feels like a wake up call. And we kind of have this thing that we've been saying, you know, from the rooms of recovery comes the revival of a nation. And, and we feel like God's kind of called us to be a part of that and to kind of lead the way because you think about it, you look at the heroes of our faith in the word of God and they're not upstanding citizens for the most part, a lot of, a lot of them, you know, right. it's very clear to the Bible's clear to show their flaws because it brings God more glory. And so, yeah, we feel like, you know, through the recovery world, we're going to step up and, and, and allow God to use us to usher in revival. And that's our prayer. Well, I've seen, I have a pretty advanced cheese meter. And so when I watch something, I can pretty quickly tell whether or not it's cheesy. And I feel like you guys have not, you guys definitely made a quality product that is going to be palatable for all audiences. And yes, I can understand in a short video, like there's so many different cuts going to this person, going to that person and having people give their opinions and still try to tell some sort of a narrative. But there was one quote specifically, and I'm pretty certain it was you, um, Mm. I'll attribute it to you. So even if you didn't say it, you get the credit. But you said that these opioids that are going out there are creating mundane, functional Mm. people roaming the earth. Mundane, functional people roaming the earth. Give me a little bit more behind that because we've talked a lot about the opioids, but I think this has a lot to do with the fact that this is not the epidemic that people are expecting because again, nobody's shocked to see a bum on the side of the road with a needle in their arm passed out because they kind of expect that. Like it's, they lament it and they hate it and they think it's terrible, but they expect that, but they're not expecting the person that they do coffee with every week or the person that's in their Sunday school class or the doctor that they go see to be having this issue. They're functional. They can look you in the eye, but it hasn't really gotten to that crazy part. So give me a little bit more behind creating functional or mundane functional people roaming the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, it's almost like a chemical straitjacket. And so not only opioids, but the medicine that they're giving people to get off of opioids, uh, it, it, it is, it's almost like a chemical straitjacket. And when I, when I say that, you can kind of go back to the Bible and uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he says, um, they're like, oh, we're not slaves because he says you're a slave to it. And he's, we're not slaves. We're sons of Abraham. We're, we've never been slaved to anyone, which obviously they don't even know their own history because the Israelites have been slaves all throughout. But Jesus responds, he says, if you sent, you're a slave to your sin. And man, when the mindset is, is when you're on this stuff, you have to have it to function. Like just to have a meeting, that just to go to a lunch, just to do this. Because if I don't have it, for example, let's say that I, I've done, I've done opioids for twenty years, and man, I went and I got this prescription that's getting me all a maintenance medication that's not that, but it's this, and I'm gonna have this, and I, you know, and I don't have to go and chase these these opiate pills. Well, what happens? Let's say, let's say a scenario: if you go on a cruise and you leave your medication or forget your medication or whatever it may be, do you think that seven-day cruise is going to be enjoyed? No, no. you're going to be curled in a ball in your bed going through withdrawals. Why? Because you're you're a slave to this stuff. You have to have it to function. And so just mundane functionality, I guess, is what I said, just roaming the earth for a while. I mean, there's no fruit in your life. There's no... Um, you could do things. You can, and so, But God's called us to live a life of abundance. 
you know, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world and the thief comes only to kill, still and destroy, but I've come to give life and life abundantly. And so when you're just functioning, when you're just surviving, what are you doing? I mean, I guess the charge there is to believers and my brothers and sisters in Christ, man, live a life of abundance, live life on a mission for God, not just surviving. You know, I mean, the, I don't know. It goes back to being passive and, and, you know, I, I, with a charge of wanting to spark revival in the world, man, my call is to get your squirt gun. Let's go. Hell's coming. We're going to charge it with these water pistols. And, you know, I don't care what the world thinks anymore. And that's also why I think from the rooms of recover, the revival of a nation, man, because I don't give a rip anymore, man. I've been in the pit of hell. I've been, I've already been looked at as a, as damaged goods and a secondary mm-hmm. citizen because of my lifestyle. So I don't give a rip, man. So what God says, let's go. And I think, if that were just the mindset, our our country would look a lot different. Our the division in this world would be less. I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm with I'm you on all that. Soapbox for a minute. No, man, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep getting back on that soapbox and off it as well. But I I do think that that's a big deal because people need to look at this a little bit differently. They need to know the warning signs. So one thing that that you that came up for me as you were talking is people kind of know the warning signs now because human trafficking has been talked about a lot. So if you see a young lady, maybe a a young teenage gal and she's looking around, maybe she's got a bruise on her eye or a busted lip and she's with a couple of guys at a, you know, a truck stop or at a, you know, a restaurant or something like that. She doesn't look like she's actually with them. She's just with them at the moment. We kind of know what to look for. And if those guys get up to go to the bathroom or to go to pay the check, Hey, are you doing okay? Are these guys with you? We know what to look for, right? Like we've seen it enough. It's been dramatized on television enough, but we haven't seen enough about these functional addicts that are working through their everyday life on opioids. And the problem is, is there's not a long runway before these people's lives completely are overrun and their lives are destroyed or they lose them. I mean, just think about it. How many of you know someone who's been using fentanyl for a long time? Right, like, because because everyone knows someone that's used cigarettes for a long time, someone that's abused alcohol for a long time. Do you know anyone that's abused fentanyl for any length of time? You don't, because they're dead already, right? Mm. And so it, it's it's getting us into a different mindset and be able to look at things a little bit of a different way. But I did see something in in the podcast, just so not everyone thinks that we're just you know in love on this entire podcast, agreeing <laughs> on everything. I got to push back on something I Let's saw go. in the podcast because I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit pessimistic in my personality. I can admit, but in the documentary, you talk about how eventually these massive insurance companies will just have to support and co-sign. Christian-based, I won't say faith-based, but Christian-based recovery programs because the data are going to be too overwhelming that they work, that that it's better than what we've been doing with these other programs or these other you know books or these other 12 steps or something like that. In my opinion, I'm not so sure of that because most of these big secular organizations, regardless of the industry that they're in, they can't really let let down their secular guard and say that this specifically Christian program is what we're going to support because then it kind of goes against what they're trying to do, what they're trying to build. You talked about it earlier. Hey, this person's had recovery in the past, so we can't really pay for this moving forward. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I just don't buy it. I don't see that they're going to have to do that someday. Some of the, the smaller ones might relent and do that. But again, feel free to push back on me. I'm just feeling pessimistic about it. No, and I think that's fair. And I mean, it, I guess the problem is, is if I, if I did, and I'm pessimistic too, but, but at the same time, there's areas that I'm optimistic because if I was pessimistic about this, 
I'd become lazy and I wouldn't collect the data because that's not easy to collect accurate data. To I mean, you're following up after a few years after someone's been home for a year. I, I wouldn't do it if I just thought it wouldn't affect anything. <clears throat> and so the, the, I, I guess I'll educate maybe the audience or maybe no one, but I, I kind of feel like there's three, there's big pharma, there's big uh, rehab is a big business, to be honest. And then there's insurance, right? And insurance is kind of intertwined in all of them. But insurance is the one that I'm kind of talking about because if I, if it's all about the money for them, let's just be real. And if the insurance company knows that, hey, my client, I have data, that there, there's data here of, man, they go to this place one time. And man, I haven't had a treat anymore. ER visits. I haven't had to pay for these prescriptions. We haven't had any more incidences in this many years. We'll pay for this now, right? As opposed to relapse after relapse, uh, uh, rehab after rehab, after prescription, after prescription, after counseling, after counseling. And so we, I think it's just a numbers game. Uh, but I'm with you. I mean, just, just to think that the people aren't going to be brain broke anymore. Or people aren't going to have these absurd thoughts anymore. Um, is probably hopeful for me, but I guess my thought was they're going to see the numbers. They're going to see the financial, that it makes financial sense for them to pay for this one time as opposed to that 10 times. Sure. Uh, I hope you're right. I certainly hope you are. I, I want, I want to believe that that's something that can happen. And part of that is again, you and I are, are both covered in the blood of Christ and we both admitted that we're pessimistic. But again, I think that's a part of our personality. That is something that we should keep because we're going to look at something just a little bit of scant. The person that's always positive, everything's always going to work out. Yeah. And then it just doesn't, it's like, yeah, your positive outlook prior to didn't change the outcome. And so yeah. I always look at something and I'm like, how could this be better? Like whether it's a show or whether it's a book or whether it's, you know, documentary or even, you know, just an overall philosophy is like, how could this be better? How could this be a little bit more airtight? But hey, we've covered a lot of ground today. I really appreciate all the time that you've given us, but I'd yeah, like man. to do a segment towards the end of my show. It's called, what would you say to someone that said? And so what okay. I do is I say that and then I fill in the blank with a statement and here's the deal. It's lightning round. You get 30 seconds or less to answer oh, wow. and I will keep you to that 30 seconds. And it's just going to, you have to give us the meat and potatoes answer, whether it's about a big topic or a small topic, but it's just kind of a cool way to wrap up. So are you up for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 30 seconds to answer one or 30 seconds to answer all of the ones you have? Uh, you get 30 seconds for each of them, right? Oh, okay. So, so yeah, if it was 30 seconds for all of them, you'd be able to say like the or poop or like okay. you wouldn't be able gotcha. to answer it like, you know, legitimately. So gotcha. I'm going to say a statement. You get 30 seconds to answer. Okay? okay. All right. First one here. What would you say to someone that said addiction is a disease? Define disease. That'd be a good place to start for them. All right, next one here. And again, you have a full 30 seconds if you want it. What would you say to someone that said, drug overdoses are an overblown story. We really need to be worried about COVID. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I like this game. Um, 30 seconds. You probably already started the clock. Yeah, the timer's uh, Here's data. Here's look, data. Yeah, look, open your eyes. Yeah, it's not exactly the same thing. All right, yeah, next turn one off here. your TV and look at the real, the truth. Yeah, sorry. Here go we go. What would you say to someone that said, I don't care about God, I just want to get better? I don't care about God, I just want to get better. Um, I mean, people have said that. I mean, we would just, I guess I would say um, in 30 seconds, I would say, let's see. Give me a 10 second when I'm at the 10 second warning. I don't care about God. I just want to get better. 
I would say, um, I don't know. I mean, Jeff Durbin would, would, would say, uh, and you know, yeah, you do, you, you know, God, you love God, but you just don't, you just don't admit it. Um, I mean, I don't know that you, I don't know that you can get better without God as I guess my answer. Yeah. I think there's a worldview issue and a lot of these people, uh, they pretend like God exists, but they just actively ignore that he's there kind of a thing. All yeah. right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said pharmaceutical companies aren't the bad guys. They help so many people. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, I think they could be both. I think they're definitely, again, I think medication is a, a common grace of God, a, a mercy of God, science, mercy, common grace of God given to us. Uh, but man, I, I've seen too much to think that there's not some major implication. I mean, they're being sued. How, how do good guys get sued and, and lose? Yeah, but not this level. Uh, some of these companies are paying out billions of dollars to states. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not always uh, as easy as we'd like it to be. Uh, what would you say to someone that said Christian recovery programs are just 12 step programs with a few Bible verses sprinkled in? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think I'd say you're right. There, there are a lot of those, uh, that's true. Um, but not all. And then I would hand them our curriculum and, and let them read it. I, I think that's true. That's a true thing. That's a true statement for some. Um, but not all, not all. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that says I work in sales in the pharmaceutical industry? Am I complicit in killing people? Um, goodness gracious. Work in sales. Which pharmaceutical cut now? Um, <laughs> I mean, I think convictions. I'm I'm not the Holy Spirit, but if you feel like you're pushing a drug, I mean, what are you selling? If you're selling Tylenol or, I mean, are you selling Oxycontin, right? I mean, and if you're selling Oxycontin and here's the data and you're still doing it, maybe. Um, if you don't have conviction and you're a believer and you're you're aware of what you're selling and the outcome, no, I don't, I don't think you're a, a complicit. All right. Just a couple more here. What would you say to someone that said, my friend is an addict. I don't know what to do. Um, reach out and research Christ-centered addiction recovery places. Go to s2lrecovery.org. No. Uh, <laughs> reach out. And, and when you do, I, I always say this, make it as easy as possible uh, for them to walk into a place of recovery and as hard as possible for them to stay in that life of addiction. Meaning have boundaries, don't enable, do these things. Um, but go to and when you research recovery, make it sure it's Christ-centered. All right. Last question of the day, Adam. What would you say to someone that said, I'm addicted. I've tried everything. There's no way out. Yeah, I hear you. I, I hear you. I feel that. That's that's the way I felt too. And then, you know, but God being rich in mercy. And I would encourage them that there's hope. And they don't. And everything that you've heard in this, this journey that you've been walking in, man, of recovery, and you've been told that you're always going to be this, just know, man, that's from the pits of hell and you've been misinformed. There's hope. Absolutely. And, and guys, I know if you're still listening to this, it's because the subject matter is very important to you. But to any of you listening to this, you know how to get a hold of me. Info at undaunted.life. That's the direct email that I see every day. I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. If you feel like you're in that place, I can get you to Adam. I can get you to, to other places. It's the same thing when I've talked about suicide on this, this podcast or something like that. Again, I'm not qualified to help you in any way, shape, or form, except I can get you to someone that can help you. I can talk you through it a little bit. Just 
reach out. That's the only part that you have to do is reach out. Okay. We'll make sure that you get the help that you need. But Adam, thank you so much for giving all the time. We've talked about a lot of stuff. We've covered a lot of ground on this podcast, but as for now, that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really uh, glad I was introduced to Undaunted and, and I just, it's, it's kind of a podcast for me, for men, you know, with yep. the, the beard, but I, I would say similar to, as you said earlier, you know, someone, a, a church man, going to your pastor and telling him you have your back. I would say if you, if you're interested in recovery and having recovery ministry, do the same thing. Um, come and check us out. We can, we'll train you and walk you through. We've, after the documentary aired, we've trained countless churches in countless States on how to have just a weekly replacing an AA or an NA or, or whatever you're not pleased with, with a lost and found recovery in Christ meeting. And, and we'll walk you through that with the curriculum. And guys, we'll have all that information in the show notes so you can check it out there. Adam Comer, thank you so much for coming on Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Kyle, thank you, man. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Adam Comer. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links I've got for you today. I've got a link directly to the Forgotten Pandemic documentary, but I've also got links to the S2L Recovery website, S2L Studio site, and also the Life After Addiction podcast, which is Pastor Adam's podcast. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. You. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And we want to also thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.